The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. And the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join the volunteers by the Kids Zone sign. Uh, if it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so that we can get them checked in. Thanks, Chase. Well, part of the problem with not teaching topically is that when a passage like this comes up, I have to teach you about it anyway. If this is your first time, we don't always preach fire and brimstone, but we do preach it when it shows up in the text. So bear with us and come back again. We've been in a study of Mark, and in Mark 12, it's this uh, standoff between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the Sadducees, Jesus and the scribes, and they keep coming at him trying to trick him and trap him, and he keeps winning the argument, using their own books and their own line of thinking against them. And finally they give up, and they, uh, they stop trying to test him and challenge him because it's not going very well. And then we come into Mark 13, where the disciples are talking about how beautiful the temple is. Jesus, look at these buildings. Isn't it great? And Jesus kind of kills the mood by saying, uh, in fact, these beautiful buildings that you see, not one stone will be left standing on the other. And this is where Jesus sort of uses portrait mode on the iPhone we talked about before, where, you know portrait phone, portrait mode? It's, it's you hold out your iPhone and you can bring something into clear focus and then something through it will get blurrier and it looks really artistic. And it's sort of what Jesus is doing here is he's sort of holding up the destruction of the temple, which is really, really clear, and then sort of in the background, he's using it as an analogy about the reality of the end of times when the Son of Man comes back, when he returns. So he's using one reality to sort of help you get a sense in a blurry way of the other reality, and that's what's going on, is he tells you, he tells the disciples the temple is going to come down, one, because they weren't using it to bless the nations, And two, because of my sacrifice, we don't need it anymore. 
not only is the temple going to come down, but it's actually going to be a beautiful analogy, reality of how the end of times will come with the Son of Man. And so that's where we pick up this morning. It's a somber text, um, and it's rightly somber, but I just wanted you to know that on the front end, that it is heavy for those of us who do know Christ, and it's heavy for those of us who don't know Christ. So we need Jesus' grace to bless us as we wrestle through this text. So let's pray now and ask God to bless our study of his word. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. We need your spirit this morning. I want to be able to startle people awake who know Jesus but have just gone apathetic. I want to be able to rescue and save people who don't know Jesus but I can't do those things you have to do them you're the only one who brings life in places of death you're the only one who brings light into places of darkness you're the only one who brings hope amidst despair so we need you Holy Spirit to move rush into this room God, we need you, and we trust that you'll come. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Some of the parents in this room know about this glorious device called the tot clock. If you're a good parent, you don't know about this, but if you're a parent like me, you love the tot clock. I've bought at least four of them in my life. The tot clock is the clock that teaches your toddler to stay in their room until a certain time in the morning so they don't start tapping on your nose at 3 o'clock in the morning and asking for water. So what you do, it's this bright, light-up clock, and you set the times on it. And so you set it till 7 a.m., and it stays dark blue, like sleepy and midnight, and stay in your room. And then at 7 o'clock, which is a reasonable time to see your children, it turns on, it turns on and it shows bright yellow. And so they get used to it. Oh, oh, what color is the clock? Can't come out yet. What color is the clock? Can't come out yet. And so you teach them to stay in their rooms and leave you alone. And that's why I bought four of them in my time. But what you will hear is when that thing turns seven, you will hear a door fire open and you will hear this like releasing of the hounds. And all I can imagine is that my twins are literally sitting, staring at the clock face, just like, oh, yellow, come on, yellow. Oh, yes, and then go. They are alert, they're watchful, they're awake. The reason that I tell you this is that this passage is saying to us, to we who are Christians, Stay watchful, be vigilant, be ready. The time is coming. It's one of the biggest failures in my life. And I would guess, venture a guess to say that it might be of yours. We don't really care when he comes back. Think about it. How much do you think about his return? 
You think about grace, you think about sin, you think about failure, you think about being encouraged, a new season. But how much do you really think about his return? It's certainly not something that we're watching and we're waiting and we're expected of. And yet Jesus tells his disciples 2,000 years ago, watch, be ready. 2,000 years ago. And so whether it's another 2,000 years from now or whether it's tomorrow, we're supposed to have this posture of readiness. I am ready for Jesus to come back. Why? Why? The angels don't know the time. Jesus doesn't even know the time. Why should we stand ready? It's because not that he's coming takes away the meaning of our lives. The fact that he's coming makes everything matter. It means you're running out of time. And so all of your relationships and all of your hobbies and all of your habits and all of your practices matter so much more because he's coming back. Be on your guard, Jesus says. There's a story that my friend Brian told me. There's a day in American history called the Day of Disappointment. The Day of Disappointment. This is true. October 22nd, 1844, the date that became famous as the Day of Disappointment. So there's this person named William Miller who in the spring of 1832 started traveling around the country and telling everybody, spreading the word of, that Christ would return around 1843. So he gave them about 11 years notice to get everybody fired up. Christ is coming in 11 years. Now it's 10 years. Now it's nine years. He's getting everyone so pumped up. And he eventually, he pinpointed the date that Jesus would be here on March 21st, 1844. March 21st, 1844. And they, he got a lot of people, thousands of people to believe this. Thousands of people got together and wore robes of white and they stared at the skies because they wanted to be ready that Jesus was coming. And then October 22nd came and the people lived in the disappointment. Listen to this quote. I waited all Tuesday and dear Jesus did not come. I waited all the forenoon of Wednesday and was well in body as I ever was, but after 12 o'clock I began to feel faint. And before dark, I needed someone to help me to my chamber as my natural strength was leaving me very fast. I lay prostrate for two days, sick with disappointment. Sick with disappointment. Now, it's easy for us who know what Jesus says about the day or the hour to poke fun at that and say, oh, you know the day or the hour? Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour. That's ridiculous. But what is not ridiculous is a people who would care that much, who would order their lives around the return of Christ. And he's saying, while you don't know the day or the hour, you should order your life around the return of Christ because you're running out of time. And this is the heavy part of it, is when he comes, there will be weeping and there will be dancing. And which one are you going to get to do? When he comes, there will be weeping or there will be dancing. Which one are you going to get to do? This is the day of the Lord. This is quoting from Isaiah 13. Listen to this. 
See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and to destroy the sinners in it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place and the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Did you hear that? The day of the Lord, the earth shake, the constellations, the, sh- the sun doesn't shine. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaking. There will be this cosmic earthquake, powerful shaking to say, Jesus is coming back. You will not miss it. No one will miss it. And this is from Daniel 7, another apocalyptic passage about Jesus' return. Listen to this. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, of ancient, uh, sorry, one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Daniel's seeing this. Jesus' return, and he's given the power and the kingdom in the ancient of days. And then Daniel goes on to describe the same thing that Isaiah did, this day of reckoning, where God pours out the wrath, pours out the wrath onto the earth. And Daniel is so terrified by the end. Listen to what Daniel says. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Daniel, the prophet, said, I saw the judgment that was coming to the earth, to mankind, and it was troubling, and I kept the matter to myself. And friends, we do the same thing. It's troubling. It's dark, and we keep the matter to ourselves. Yeah, no joke, it's dark, Daniel. He comes, he comes with power and with glory. He comes victoriously. He will have defeated sin, defeated death, defeating Satan, and he comes into this world of unbelief and sin, this world that he created and sustained and redeemed, and he will come back to rescue the redeemed and to the ones who said, I heard about you, Jesus. I heard they tell me about you. I just didn't like it or I just didn't believe it. It's dark for you. It's scary. It should make us tremble like Daniel. His coming is supposed to sober us. There is some meaning, some power for us in the fact that he is coming to judge 
It should be of some comfort to us. And here's why it's comforting, is he comes to a world of hurricanes and wars and cancer and disease and death, and it's as if he looks at us and says, it's not supposed to be like this. So if you have ever felt like the world is not supposed to be like this, it shouldn't be like this, you're right. And part of why he's coming to judge is to take back his world and make it brand new to eradicate all of the sin and suffering and hatred and death and racism. And he's going to eradicate it to make it all brand new. And he comes to make all things right. Do you have injustices in your life? Things that just shouldn't be so, things that should not have happened? You can, you can take comfort in knowing that he is not okay with the injustices in your life. He is not okay with the injustice of in your, injustices of your life and you will be made whole. You will be made whole. All things will be made right. So whatever heartbreaking circumstances you've experienced, there's treacheries and betrayals. Whatever the injustice will be, will be made whole, will be made right. But what about you out there who know all of this? Who know that Jesus is your Savior, that Jesus is your King, that Jesus is actually coming back again and that He's coming back and there will be no second chance when He comes back. We're in the last days. When He says, I'm going to die and rise again and send my spirit. From that moment on, we are in the last days waiting for it to happen, waiting for it to be made new. And some of us have encountered that grace and we keep it to ourselves. We're troubled by the matter and so we keep it to ourselves. And I would encourage you, be transformed I'm slowly being transformed. I'm slowly learning to drive around and to pray for people who don't know Jesus, to engage with them, to love on them, to ask them questions. I'm slowly learning to care and slowly learning to pray. The fact that Jesus is coming back has to shape my faith in some way. He didn't just come back so that I... He's not just coming back... He didn't save me so that I could just be a B Christian and maybe someday be an A minus Christian and someday, maybe someday near the end of my life I'll be an A plus Christian. He saved me so that I could be a part of the salvation of others. That's what was wrong with the temple is that the people who were saved were supposed to be a light to the nation so that every family on earth would be blessed by them and they kept it to themselves and felt really special about themselves. And we as individuals and we as a church can do that. Look at our pretty gospel. Look at our pretty faith. We're getting better all the time. It's great. People are dying. And we just can't muster to care. And it's heartbreaking. For people, most people in our generation, in our city, it's not even that they don't think it's true. It's that they don't care. If you were to ask somebody, do you think this is true? And they'd be like, yeah, probably. I'm a Christian if I'm anything. I mean, I, I don't go to church. I don't, I don't have a relationship with Christ, but it's probably true. They just don't care. 
And part of that is on the church. That we would take something of such significance that Jesus is our rescuer and our king and that he's given us the opportunity to transform the world and we just don't care either. And what about you out there who, who don't know Jesus? Who aren't sure you can believe in another father figure? who have so much guilt and so much woundedness and so much sin and probably so much anger at the church because the church makes a lot of mistakes. And yet you got yourself here. First of all, we're honored that you're here. What courage it takes to walk into a room where you know you don't believe what everybody else believes and yet you got yourself here anyway. Thank you. You honor us with your presence. But secondly, hear me, when he comes back, and he is coming back, he will come to judge those that didn't find refuge in him, that couldn't humble, themself, humble themselves before him. I plead with you to step onto his side, to bow the knee. You've probably been wrong about other things in your life, maybe, what if you're wrong about this? Philippians 2 has this cosmic scene where Jesus is returning. It says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the profound, thoughtful atheists and the agnostics and those of other faith traditions, they too will bow a knee. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But listen to me, that day you will bow a knee. It'll either be in humble adoration and hope, or it will be in abject terror. But you will bow the knee. Step onto his side. And for those of you who are standing with him, doesn't it matter that we tell people this? Our bosses, our friends from work, our neighbors, our children, our family. Doesn't it matter that they would know that every knee will bow one way or the other? There's this memory that I will never forget from our honeymoon. Aaron had arranged for us to go to a Mexican resort. And it was amazing. All-inclusive. And as we were doing the research leading up to our trip... She said, oh, there's this one French restaurant in the resort in Mexico. There's this French restaurant in the resort in Mexico, and it's five stars. And we get to go there for free because it's all-inclusive, but you have to bring dress shoes. And I was like, we're going to Mexico. I'm going to be in flip-flops the entire time. I am not going to need dress shoes. I promise you they're not going to enforce that. Nobody's going to bring dress shoes. And she said, babe, I'm telling you, I really want to go to this restaurant. It's going to be all you. You just have to move these shoes into right here, and you'll be all set. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll get right on that. I don't bring dress shoes. So we go one of the nights, and she's excited and all dressed up, and I put on khakis and a shirt like this and my flip-flops because I don't have my dress shoes, and I can see that she's already starting to get worked up. And I'm like, it's going to be fine. And we walk up to the maitre d' and no one's standing there. And I'm like, perfect. So I move quickly into the restaurant, walk over, put my feet, slide it under the tablecloth, and I'm good to go. See, she was worried about nothing. 
And then I feel this presence standing over me. And they say, sir, I'm sorry, I don't know if you've read this, but you're required to have dress shoes. If you would just go to your room and change, I'll hold your table here for you. And I said, I don't have any dress shoes. And they said, well, sir, you can't eat here this evening. And I could feel Aaron's eyes (laughs) boring a hole in the side of my head. And we had to stand up in front of everybody and walk my flip-flopped self out the door. I didn't like that there was a rule about shoes. I didn't believe that they would enforce a rule about shoes. And I did not get to eat at the restaurant. Friends, you may not like that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You may not think that it's fair. You may not like the math of it. You may not agree with the rules. But you don't want to get left out. You don't want to miss out on that great day, that great meal. Once he has arrived, it's too late. That's what the text is saying here. When he comes, it's not to convince you, it's to gather up those that already believe. He'll send out the angels, he'll gather his elect from the four winds. He's going to gather them up before condemnation and judgment on those who have not found refuge in him. No one knows. Not the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on your guard and keep awake. Keep awake. You might even say, how do I know if I even want to follow a God that has this much wrath? That has these apocalyptic images? Then it's a good question. Because He's the kind of God... We've seen his wrath before. The last outpouring of the wrath that we've seen was onto Jesus. He poured out divine, white, hot justice wrath onto Jesus. And he's about to do that. Here in Mark, we're in Mark 13. We're going to get to Mark 16. He's about to pour out this wrath. And Jesus will bear it. He'll absorb it. He'll face it so that you won't have to. You won't have to. You see, that's why you have to believe in Him. You see, He either pours out His wrath on His Son for you to be rescued, or He pours out His wrath on you. And so for us to say, we don't like the rules, we don't believe the rules, He's saying, I gave you a way out. I care for you. I, my posture towards you is for you. I care for you. And for you to shake your fist at me and say, I don't believe or I don't want to believe. When I laid down my son so that you'd never face this, wrath is coming. Do you know that? It's important that you do. He is coming back. And he does win. He does win. Do you ever feel that way? How things could ever be good after they've been so bad? I read a book in college and in the opening chapters of the book, it was so grotesque, so disturbing, so dark. 
that I worked through the book across the room. It's supposed to be this powerful, amazing book because I thought there's no way the story can be redemptive at all. There's no way the story can end good when it's been this bad. And some of you feel that way. There is no way the story can end good when it's been this bad. And you're wrong. Jesus wins. Thinking about COVID and hurricanes and death and cancer and divorce, Jesus wins. Don't be afraid to remind yourself of this. When you're struggling, Jesus will win. This this part of my story is not the end of my story. This part of my story is not the end of my story. In fact, he's put this part in my story or he's allowed this part of my story to drive me to him, to help me find refuge in him. Jesus will win. He will come riding in on the clouds. He's coming for his people. It says it this way in Matthew 24, 30, then they will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. They mourn because they will have to make an answer for themselves. You may not like the rules. You may not think it's the right set of rules, but you don't get to decide. He is coming in every knee will bow, either in humble adoration and hopeful expectation or in abject terror. And he will come. He will come himself. He doesn't reach down and throw us a rope. He comes himself to make all things new. And he won't forget his elect. That's what it's saying. He gathers his chosen ones. He gathers his people from all four corners. He says, I will not forget you. So you who are struggling and weary, you will not be forgotten. My son Cormac, when he was little and I would be getting ready to go, he would say this cute thing and he'd say it with a little kid's voice. He'd say, don't forget me, don't forget me, don't forget me. I will remember that forever. And all I could do is smile. This kid who I've been there for every day of his life, this kid who has my whole heart, this kid who I would do anything for, don't forget me, don't forget me. Yeah, buddy, I am not going to forget you. That's the fondness God has towards you. I will not forget you. I am coming back for you. He told them this. He wanted them to believe him. So when? Why has he delayed? He's telling guys in AD 30 or AD 33, he's telling guys, I'm coming back back and I'm coming back soon so be watchful it's been 2,000 years why the delay this is why he delays listen to this in Ezekiel 18 this is who your God is but if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he's committed and keeps all my statues and does what is just and right he shall surely live he shall not die None of the transgressions he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done shall live. Listen. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the Lord God. And not rather that he should turn from his way and live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? He is rooting for the wicked. He is rooting for the wicked. It says this in 1 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, his promise of coming back. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, 
but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That all should reach repentance. The reason that he hasn't come back yet is because he is patient with you. He wants more to come in. He doesn't want to pour the divine wrath out on you. He instead wants you to hide under his son. He is patient with you. So I don't want to hear this, that God is angrily, arms crossed, tapping his foot, saying, oh, I don't want those bad people out there. I don't want those wicked people. He's rooting for the wicked people. His posture towards them is to cheer that they would come in for salvation. Romans says, our God justifies the wicked. So he's rooting for the wicked and then he justifies the wicked so that they could come in. If your trust is not in Christ, friends, please don't wait. Don't wait. Alistair Begg says, the devil is always trying to whisper you tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll deal with God. Tomorrow I'll face this. Tomorrow, tomorrow, you know, when I'm not in the season of college, I'll take this stuff more seriously. When I'm not in the season of being a young adult, and I've got the fun out of my system, I'll take this stuff seriously. Tomorrow I will. No, friends, today. Today is the time. You don't know how much time you have. You don't know how much time you have. It's occurred to me this summer I turned 40. And it didn't bother me that much. I thought I was going to have this big midlife crisis. And it didn't bother me this much. But it did make me awake to the fact that there are people around me dying and I'm not doing anything about it. I need to learn to pray. I need to learn to ask good questions. I need to learn to listen. I'm running out of time. And the Lord is slow and patient, hoping that all will come in. Don't wait. When will all of this take place? Listen, no one knows. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. No one knows. So be ready. Be on guard. Stay awake like my twins looking at that clock, longing for it to come. Be on guard. And if you know that you're already safe in Christ, then you should be looking at that clock, recognizing I can live in in such a way, I can love in such a way that people will be rescued from wrath. Be on guard. Because we don't know when. He says, watch. Friends, be rescued. Don't listen to... All this about salvation and the magnificence of it, about the sacrifice, about the blood, about the love, and then walk away. Every wrong will be made right. That thing that you're carrying in your life right now, that thing that you carry around on your back that says, I'm what defines you, I'm what defines you. You messed up. You messed up. I'm what defines you. You're alone. You're abused. You're divorced. You're discouraged. You're sick. That does not define you. What defines you forever is the fact that you're one of his and he loves you and he's coming back for you. Are you ready? Are the people around you ready? It comes down to this, listen. Ultimately, he bears the weight 
of your judgment or you will bear the weight of his. He bears the weight of your judgment in Christ or you will bear the weight of his. Do you know that? Do the people around you know that? I want us to be the kind of church that cares. The kind of church who can't sleep over the fact that there are people out there dying without Christ. Our job is not to become, go from C plus Christians to B minus Christians to someday be an A minus Christian. Your job is to make disciples of all nations. Your job is to introduce people to the God of grace. How does that happen? Well, you fall in love with Jesus every week all over again. Because the deeper you understand your sin, the deeper you understand your sin, the more you will fall in love with your Savior. And the more you fall in love with your Savior, you will want, Savior, you will want everyone in your life to do that too. Everyone in your life to do that too. My neighbor across the street, I've told you about his lawn before, I'm going to tell you about his lawn again. It is the kind of lawn that you could roll naked around and say, this is the softest, most glorious lawn. I don't do that, by the way. <laughs> but you could do it. This is the softest, most glorious lawn. My whole life, I've never cared about the lawn. I mow it, leave sticks in it. I don't care. His lawn is so nice that now I care about my lawn. Now I look over at his yard and I look over at mine. We clean up the sticks. We lay down the lawn, the seed. We're trying to clean things up a little bit. And not because he shamed me. His lawn is so beautiful. I want my lawn to be beautiful too. And for Christians, that's the opportunity we have in Christ. We get to live a life of love and grace that's so beautiful that people on the outside might say, I want my life to look like that too. Friends, we have to learn to love the lost because we know about the God who cares about the lost. Let's pray. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I pray that your Holy Spirit would be powerfully at work through the songs and through the sacraments and pray that people who are would come alive that people who have gone cold would warm back up to your grace it's in Jesus name that we pray amen through the songs and through the sacraments and pray that people who are would come alive that people who have gone cold would warm back up to your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.